As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. So you know what's funny because uh, we were just talking about Vegas and stuff is we're getting some rain here at night. I was just not- in Phoenix and it was raining. I was not happy about it. That Blew happens my though. Mo- there they get the yeah. monsoons in July. That's what we got, and I. That's kind of a new one for me. I don't think we've gotten it the couple summers I've been here. So it's like every night you'll look, it'll be like perfect weather, perfect weather, and then you look at the map, and there's purple clouds on the map <laughs> coming, like bearing down. And I'm, I'm like, I'm from the Midwest. I know what purple clouds mean. That that's green. You know the green storms before a tornado oh, yeah. hits. So yeah, that's what it feels like a little bit. But that's been a new adventure for my uh, my desert living is is like those monsoon clouds coming in. I'll be out there in early August for your yeah. wedding, which I'm very yeah. excited about, as part of my training camp travels. It's in the middle of me going all around the country. I'm going on vacation. When you guys are listening to this, I'll be on vacation. So we're starting the travel stretch of the calendar. This is our last show before training camp. We're recording this on Friday, just as an FYI. So something insane happens in the football world between now and Wednesday. <laughs> I'm I'm gone. I'm in California Please on vacation. Don't. That's why I'm not doing this. But we wanted to have an episode for you guys while I was gone. And this is it. And this is something that I'd wanted to do for a while. I just think it's a really fun idea. One is a standalone episode. And two, this is a segment I want to bring back. If we're yeah. having a little back and forth about a guy, I want to have a drop. And I want to say it's time. And we're calling this Canton Court. We're going to do this every single time we have a debate, a conversation, anything about the Hall of Fame. If we're talking about, let's say it's Matt Ryan, for example, and I say, is Matt Ryan a Hall of Famer? I want one of the producers to be like, and then the drop happens. I want us to do this all the time because I love these conversations. I love Hall of Fame conversations, and they matter to me. Sometimes They don't matter to some people. Some people don't give a shit about the Hall of Fame. I love the Hall of Fame. And this, the premise of this show is going to be simple. You and I are each going to present three guys, and we're going to make the case. You're going to state their case in Hall of Fame court for why they belong in camp. And I can't wait to do this. We we love it's it's very funny that that tweet went viral this week of dudes just love talking about old athletes because <laughs> this is the second show in like three weeks where all we're going to do is talk about old athletes. It was as I was watching old YouTube highlights too. Is when when I saw that tweet and I was like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> right it's, at me it's fun though because on the on the whole very good show i alluded to the fact that we were saving some guys because yeah. some of them are too good because yeah. this is what we were saving them for so we're yes. going to bring this back in, in little snippets a lot but i wanted to dedicate an entire show to it july again is the perfect time to do stuff like this so why don't you start us off who is your first guy that you want to present here for canton court i I almost want because now I, I actually technically have four guys, and this one guy kind of told I want to uh, rescind one of my Hall of Very Good nominations <laughs> and, and, and and bump him up, and I want to go against and, and I, I'll just I'll just put a little pin in it. If this like continuation It's Kevin Williams uh, from the Vikings, and I think I've slept on it enough where I was like, ah, he's not very good. He's a Hall of Famer, and I want to argue for him. 
Um, just real quick, just going over credentials and everything. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro. That's right. That's the one there. right there. Like right that is a bar there. that you clear. Five-time yes. first-team All-Pro. There it's are not a lot be, of right? guys that have matched that have matched that production and not gotten into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, okay, the sack numbers aren't there, but he had the sack numbers. It's just that he bounced around on the D line. He played different styles of defense. He was in cover two. He was in the Seattle cover three for a year. He's just kind of he was good no matter where they, where he put him. D end inside on three tech. He lined up as a nose on pass rush situations. Just kind of a. Kevin was kind of a football player's football player. Just one of those guys everyone respects. Everyone goes, he never missed it. I mean, he missed like, he missed five games in 13 seasons. That's ridiculous for such a physical play style um, and where how he played. And he was on the all-decade team. And I mean, those are just all credentials that, I mean, yeah. if you're on the all-decade team, it's, even if you're not saying, I can't tell the story of the NFL without this guy. Like, you know, that's what some guy's parameter is. Can I tell the story of the NFL? To with me, that is person? a, that's a, that's one qualifier. That yep. it's, it's a one part of one piece of a larger puzzle to me, and yes. I'll get into this naturally in the conversations that we're yep. going to have about what dictates a Hall of Famer to me. Yeah, but that's one part of it. I think yep. if you're looking at the fabric of the league, are they a part of it in a way that is really meaningful and very memorable? That's something I do take note of, but yep. I just don't think Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. Like it's right. it's only one piece of the puzzle to me. Yeah, there's like iconic, and then there's tone. Yeah, there's just different verbiage you can use. Like Mike Allstott, that was like a perfect. Everyone knows who Mike Allstott was, but is yeah, he a he's not Hall a Hall of Famer. Famer. That's why the Hall of Very Good exists. Yes, so I exactly. have a question for you. Yeah. So he got a league in 2003. So that's when Warren Sapp is the three technique in the NFL yeah. with, with those Bucks teams. When did John Randall retire? Rand, well, Randall went to Seattle in like 99 or 2000, one of those two. Okay, so um, he was very he was near the tail end or out by the time that Kevin yep, Williams yep. got I think league. 01 was Randall's last year. That's so here's my right. question, and this is why I'm framing it this way. So when Warren Sapp eventually goes to Oakland in the way, way later half of Warren Sapp's career, that's like 06 through 2010 when Kevin Williams is the best player at his position in the league probably, yep. right? yep. Yep. So that's, that's my, that is another part of this. I always look for how long were they the best player at their position or top two or three, yep. and did it happen? Because that to me is a really important consideration for yes. the Hall of Fame, and one we'll get into with one of my guys for sure. Yeah, and it's the presidential term thing, and that's that's kind of yes. how I that's kind of my new. I made it up for the Hall of Very Good. Like I was like, I actually kind of like it. Is just the four years were you were you that top three at four of your position for four years? Okay, you're you're in consideration now, but that's kind of like the parameter for the hall of fame. And that is actually something I'll touch on later for another guy we're talking about, but I just want to put a pin in that. I think I'm bumping Kevin Williams up for my, for my first, uh, I guess, uh, auxiliary pick for, uh, this hall, this Canton, <laughs> Canton court, uh, thing, but, uh, do you want, you want to go or do you want me to get to my actual, you, you can one? do your first okay. one. You can do your okay. real first one. Other ones sticking with, uh, the old NFC, old NFC central became, uh, then he bumped to the NFC South is Rondé Barber. And we become parodies of, of ourselves. Oh my God. <laughs> I know we really have. I know. I, no I tried to back. Find, we got to lean into it at this point. Lean There's into no it. Going back. Lean into it. Oh, yeah. We committed to the run game or so, you know, whatever adage you want to use. But Rondé Barber, uh, credentials wise, three time first team all pro, two time second team all pro, five Pro Bowls total. We're, we're getting into that conversation. I mean, three first team all pros. That's that's saying something at that position that, you know, guys come ebb and flow all the time in their careers. He um, played in 240 straight games. Which is that's kind of insane, yeah. To think especially about. his it, play style, he wasn't yep. like he was in the shit when he played. That's and that's it. It's he basically changed what we thought of the modern Nickelback. Um, as we mid two thousands, it wasn't totally. It, it, we're still about ten years away from eleven personnel becoming more and more of the common position, but the nickel truly used to just be your third best corner. It wasn't yeah. like some certain type you looked for. It was just your third best corner. That's who slotted in at nickel because it was like, okay, you're covering the third best receiver. The the slot guy wasn't what they are now and moving the best guys inside, yada, yada. But he designed you designed your defensive scheme around him having him in the nickel. There are rules still in the NFL today how quarterbacks are taught called Ronde rules because how he used to game quarterbacks with a bubble read. If you're running like a weak side zone with a bubble, you're controlling the one unblocked guy, which is usually the nickel if it's in if it's in sub personnel. It's called the Ronde rules because Ronde would bait quarterbacks and go, "Oh no, I'm going with the bubble," and then knife in and just sweep the guy's legs for a one yard gain, and he'd do That's it great. all the time. Yeah, and it's still to this day. People, I've heard multiple quarterback coaches that 
it wasn't just they were with the Vikings that I knew him, like Todd Downing or something like that. Some other ones that I've been around, they call him the Rondé Rolls. It's hilarious that that's because he was the one that did it. He baited guys. He was a pressure guy. He, Him and Charles Woodson, they're only two players ever to have 40, interception, 40 or more interceptions and 20 or more sacks. It's because they would bring him on those slot blitzes. They would, yeah. He was just around the ball. He had, and he uh, 88 the Eagles TFLs game. in his career. It's, 88 it's as that's a corner. Insane. That's bonkers. Bonkers. And it's just those instances I brought. He would bait teams and just going, okay, we can run right at it. And he would just knife guys down. It was it was awesome. And remember, he's on part of an iconic defense, those early yes. 2000 bucks teams, which always is, should be part of this. It, it's, Do you think you can, that helps or hurts him here, though? Because I think, I think there's an bit. argument either way. I think yep. that's going to be the conversation that eventually happens with some of the Legion of Boom guys. Like, oh, in yeah. my opinion, I think that Wagner and Sherman are walk-in guys. Yeah, and, and Thomas and should I think, be. And I think Thomas probably should be too. Obviously, there are some complicating factors there. But yes. <laughs> I, with some of those guys, I think that when you're a little bit further down the hierarchy in those all-time great defenses, even if you have rings and people remember you as part of that, if you weren't the top two or three guys, sometimes yep. that can hurt you. And the yep. fact that we already have three Hall of Famers from that defense, right? Because Lynch got yep. in. So yep. I think it and cuts that, both and ways. That's how, and that's how it went. Warren Sapp was the guy. Everyone knows Warren Sapp. Yep. And then Derek Brooks was – everyone knows Derek Brooks. Okay, and then it's John – yeah, exactly. It's that hierarchy of the team. And Simeon it's, Rice is the same deal. I think Simeon, Simeon Rice, Rice gets hurt because and, of that. Correct. And that's what we talked about too. And he's in that kind of borderline. Is he? Yeah. It's like he has all the credentials. It's just, it's like uh, MVP when uh, voter, voter fatigue. Same yes. thing. They're like, oh man, another guy. No, that's just a scheme. He just had better plays around him. Well, usually it's a good defense because there's a lot of good players. <laughs> it's not just because of one or two guys, usually. I also think that him, Simeon Rice, coming to that group late hurts him. Because we yeah. don't think about him as a buck solely in the way that we yeah. do with some of those other guys where they're yeah. like true lifers in the franchise. You never saw him in that old Bucks. No uniform. creamsicle. No yeah, creamsicle no for Simeon Rice. It's so true. <laughs> not, not a, yeah. What, what's the, what they call him something like Buccaneer Bill or something like that. I can't remember. They, they have a name for the guy that was on the, you know, the Jolly Roger that was all the smiling on it. They have a, they have a silly name for it, like Bucko Bill or something like that. But yeah, we don't picture him in that. We picture all stuff in that. We picture, you know, picture Trent Dilfer in that, you know, it's like, you know, but defensively, but you don't picture Simeon Rice. But yeah, my first pick is Rondé Barber. I, I do think he should get in. He he really what is. What do you the, think is the argument against him outside of the whatever the standing is in those he, Bucks teams? It's or do you think it's the nickel stuff? It's just the nickel, quote unquote, just a nickel. But it's like, but he changed the position. He changed what you could do or what it opened up people's eyes of like, oh, this guy can get TFLs. This We can blitz this guy. Um, Rod Marinelli was running the same stuff uh, in Dallas and Chicago, just bring that simple slot pressure, but it wasn't Rondé Barber doing it. <laughs> you know, he get, he would get production from plug and play all these other guys. But when you put a guy like Rondé Barber doing it, it, it unlocks it. Um, so I think that's what it is. People are saying, quote unquote, he's just a nickel, but then he has 40 picks and 20 sacks. It's like, how do you, uh, how do you kind of vote against that? Um, I think a little bit, it's just the fatigue is just like we touched on too, but I think he should get in. I, I think I honestly was shocked that he hasn't sniffed as close as, a, as maybe I thought he did even going into this exercise. All right. Sticking with being parodies of ourselves. My first one is Devin Hester and I have never, <laughs> I've never been more ready for anything in my entire life. You guys can see me sitting up in my chair. I know you fucked up right here. This is, this is the gif of Jon Snow in the battle of the bastards. Just like whipping out the sword. <laughs> I am, I am so fucking ready to go with this. I just, I love it. I think there's so many arguments for it. If Ray guy is in the hall of fame and Morton Anderson is in the hall of fame, that Devin Hester belongs in the hall of fame. Yes. I think that's where it starts to me. Yep. If you are the greatest ever at an aspect of the game, you should probably be in the Hall of Fame. If the Hall of Fame is designed to celebrate the greatest players in NFL history, if yep. you are a singular talent at one aspect of the sport, you should be in. And I think that I that's agree. not even where the conversation ends. Because not only was he the, is he the greatest returner of all time, which he is. If mm -hmm. you look at the numbers, he has 19 return touchdowns, 14 punts, five kickoff returns. Yeah, I think the only reason he doesn't have more kickoff returns is he didn't kick, return kicks that often. Yep. But he is so clearly the best punt returner of all time. It, it, I don't even think it's close to me. And I'll get into some of the reasons why I believe that. But I just think if you think about one skill, the gap between him and everyone else in that one skill, even Dante Hall, in my opinion, 
I just think that he really stands alone. And, and that is one of the reasons. Two, he's iconic. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he was good at it. It's that he he was the coolest player in the sport for a time in 2006. His rookie year when he came onto the scene, I, I just remember he took the league by storm. All of those nationally televised games that he has year. moments. moments. Yes. There's yes. so many moments. And there. I think that obviously people remember the punt return against the Cardinals to win that game on Monday Night Football as a rookie. But that game against the Rams where he had two was yep. also nationally televised. He had yep. a punt return or he had two kickoff returns in that game. He had one week one against the Packers. Uh, and then obviously he returned the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl for a fucking touchdown. Like yep. it's I still that day. It's it was so sad. I, I was it was my freshman year of college. I was visiting my then girlfriend at the time at the University of Illinois. We watched it in the dorms. I don't remember why we did that and why we didn't watch it out. I think I might have wanted the quiet. But that also meant we watched it on like a 10-inch TV in I was the dorm say, room. And it was up. awful. It was awful. Think, he, yeah, returns that, he returns that kick for a touchdown. I'm like, this is it. My entire life has culminated in this moment. Yeah. And then it's just the rest of the night. Yeah, it's shit. Yeah, but, everything happened. <laughs> but that, the, the, and there are so many of those moments. He had tons of big moments. 2010. He returned, it's I think week three or four against Green Bay. He returns that pump for a t- touchdown fi- at a crucial moment of the game. I was in London. I watched that game at like three o'clock in the morning at the American Sports Bar in Piccadilly Circus that no longer exists. And so there are so many of those. But beyond that, the production is so far and away better than anybody else at the position. So if you look at some yep. of the numbers from 06 to 2013, Every 20.3 punt returns, he returned for a touchdown over that stretch. 20.3. The closest guy with at least 100 returns to him in that stat is Patrick Peterson with 32. It's not even close. It's not even, it's not even it's not in even the close. same conversation. Yeah. Okay? So if you look at some of the other numbers, it's he had uh, it, the, the value that he added on punt returns was just crazy. Uh, in DVOA, the Bears were essentially number one through five Several times they were the best in the league pretty much every single time he was there. He also had a kick a touchdown every 44.4 kickoff returns, which was the fifth best mark in the league from 06 to 13. That's better than Josh Cripps, who is his all-time something. record in kickoff yeah. return touchdowns. So I think if he had returned more kicks, that would have been fine. Yeah. So during that stretch from 06 to 13, he averaged 12.28 yards per punt return. No one else in the league was above 11.2. So a full yard better than every single but everyone else at the position. So obviously you have those 06 and 07 uh, seasons. The 07 season I think has my favorite one ever. It was the one against Minnesota where he ran back and caught it over his shoulder, shoulder inside the five yeah. yard line because yeah, that right. was a team kicking away from him and the balance. When he gets hit and he like goes sideways in the air and lands on one foot, the balance yeah. was always insane. And that insane. was my favorite one. But then you have this dip, right, in 08 and 09 because he's playing full-time receiver. So yeah. you think, is this going to be the same as it was with Dante Hall or some of these other returners where you have this incredible start and then they tail off and we never see yeah. hear from them again? And then in 2010, he goes and starts doing it full-time again. The 2010 stats are insane. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 2010, on Devin Hester's punt returns, the Bears started at their own 45-yard line. That was where they started the average possession every single time he returned a punt. It's like it's like the gravity of a of a shooter too, because yes. like all those all those non-returns are going to so start adding up. That's the biggest one here. Okay, yep. so he only returned 33 punts in 2010, despite being their full-time punt returner. 80 the teams punted against the bears 85 times in that season 52 punts were not returned if you look at it the the punts out of bounds during that season i went every single game 35 37 34 33 35 33 28 20 25 31 31 27 teams were just launching the ball out of bounds they couldn't. They, they refused terrified. to punt to him, and terrified that to him. me, that's where it is. That is where it goes over the top to me. It's when you start affecting the game and affecting the mindset 
of the people that you're playing against, of the people in the stands, yep. of every single person involved in the game, they're thinking about you in those moments. You are now, you are undeniable. Yep. You you stand alone. And that to me is what he did. I remember in 07, I went to the Saints game with my dad at the end of the year. It was the last game of the season. It was one of the last games I ever went to with my dad. It was cold. And he went back for a return in the third quarter. They were up 24 to 17. And I could just remember the energy in the place and just what it was like when he was standing back there. Yep. And he returned a punt 64 yards for a touchdown. And there was nothing like it. It's like when Sammy Sosa would come up to the come up to the plate. Yep. When you have those guys, when you just remember the way an air fell over the stadium when they were involved in the game, there aren't that many of those people who ever play a sport. Yep. And he was that guy. I just there's so many little things. In 07 against the Broncos, when he returned a punt and a kickoff, when he returned the second kickoff, he was their only offense that day. Yep. He scored those well, two touchdowns to make it 20 to 20. <laughs> and Dan Deardorff was just saying, I don't get it. I don't get it over and over again as he was returning it. Because why would you kick to him? And yep. there's just, there has never been someone at that position who has that status and that stature in the way we talk about the position and the way that we watch the position and the expectations we have for it and the excitement we expect from it. So the, with all of those reasons, I, I just think that he is no doubt about it belongs in the Hall of Fame. I completely agree with you. I think he, I think he's a no-brainer. Like, that's what – and it's funny when people argue, oh, he's just a returner, but that's the thing. Like you said, he's iconic. He uh, – it's the same thing with Moss. You know, anytime the deep ball would go up, the entire stadium was just, yeah. you know, catching their breath for it. And I had never been around a real good returner until my dad was with the Bears, 2010. Uh, yeah, 2010 was that first year. And that was the first time I had felt that feeling. Also, because the defense is so good. First time I've been around a real, real good defense. <laughs> so every every time we had a stop, I was like, okay, that's nice. Point, this offense is have to score 30 points. This is great. And then just that atmosphere, it was like a party for every punt return. Everyone yeah. would just stand up and it was like a party. It really was. It was like a power play in, in hockey or something. Like everyone just stood up and I've never been around that atmosphere that about a guy just that. Cause it was like, Oh, they're kicking the Hester. And then it'd be, it'd be the bears fans became educated on special teams because like they'd punt away out of bounds and everybody like, like golf clapping, like good job. Good job. You know, like a good shift, like in hockey or something like a good, good defense, like good team defense or something. Everyone just clap, like on a punt out of bounds. It was just, I've never seen anything like that. And you know, a guy's, iconic is how the other players treat him yes he went to the falcons 100%. he went to the falcons 2014 you could even see it on hard knocks because we had hard knocks that year julio and roddy white harry douglas matt ryan all those guys were like well we got hester man like they anytime he did something it was like oh where you go dev where you go d hester and it was just like you leave him be that no that's a legend we don't have to talk to him you know he's a legend we throw that word around a lot he yeah. is a legend he is he an is. absolute legend that the, the one of my favorite stats is against Green Bay in 2010. I'm just listing them all at this point. That, that against Green Bay in 2010, he scores the touchdown late in the oh, game so on awesome. Monday Night Football. It was incredible. But so Mastay had three punts in that game. He had a 58 yard punt that has to return for 29 yards. He had a 35 yard punt that has to return for 28 yards, and he had a 57 yard punt that has to return for 62 yards and a touchdown. The, the Packers on three punts had 31 net punt yards in that game. That's what I'd say. How many it's first just, down, That's the thing. It's not just a touchdown. Everyone's like, oh, it's this many touchdowns. It's those are first downs he generates just by himself. Just yes. Just by a one man team generating six extra first downs for you in a game. And that it just adds up. It's those hidden yards. And and he's the king of it. I mean, he also like that's the other thing. Uh, when he was a rookie, Soldier Boy was uh, uh Yes, was I remember. Big. Oh my god, and they, yes. They kept that song for him his entire career. And it's like that's how you know a guy is, is like it's still cool because that's Devin Hester. It's you know, like Mario anybody... Rivera and and, and her Sandman. Sandman. Like, it's the exact same thing. It's just <laughs> be corny with anyone a... else. But how many NFL it. players have walk on music? Like, yeah. It just there's nothing <laughs> like that. And it no, I, so to me, it's like not even a conversation. Like, I think uh, that I think he belongs. I think there's zero question that he should belong. I want to say this year is his first year of eligibility. Like he he's he should get in there. just like flat out. He there. should get in. looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24 seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, who's your next guy? Uh, next guy is, uh, I'm going to go with Tony Baselli. And I'm using, like the Supreme Court, I'm using uh, past case precedent uh, for my <laughs> argument for him. Uh, and, my, and my case here is Terrell Davis. Uh, because Tony Baselli only played 91 games. I actually didn't even know it was that little. I That's was, shocking. That's right? shocking. 91 games. He didn't even play 100 games. That, that kind of like, that actually was like, oh, wow, this is uh, going to be a little bit more of a, argument that i realized but he only had three seasons total where he played all 16 games like period in his career uh and only six seasons really in general uh if you if just kind of how it all adds up um but just like terrell davis terrell davis only played for four seasons like really if you look at his stuff he really was only a contributor for four seven seasons so that's kind of why i'm using this but Tr- tony baselli was legitimately the prototype for the position for the left tackle position he was phenomenal and I, I cannot over <laughs> overstate that enough. Like he, he had a longer career. We would talk about him as an all timer. I mean, honestly, it was him and Orlando Pace in that late '90s, early 2000s. That those were, were they drafted that, the same year? Oh uh, no, no, Baselli no. was Baselli was earlier. So he I was think? the second yeah. overall pick in '95, okay. and then Orlando Pace was the first overall pick in '97. So it was like you know, it was the same okay. era. Yeah, same. But those, it was those two. I mean, those were your left tackles. Uh, uh, and then and- Jonathan Ogden was the fourth overall pick in 96. What a fucking run. Wow. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Not many, like, just, oh, good players, but no, uh, all-time all time greats. Oh, my God. Jonathan Ogden, if you want to talk about freaks. that <laughs> People realize what, what he was at that position, too. I don't know. But- I ever told you that story when I, I was talking to Marshall Yonda once, and Yonda was telling me about his rookie year, and that was, it was oh, Yonda's no. last, or it was, it was Ogden's last season in, in the NFL. I want to hear and it though. Those old uh, teams with the Ravens, and when Billick was still there, whenever that era, they would under your plate in your locker, they would have all your Pro Bowls listed, and like all oh, the accomplishments. Okay. And yeah. Ogden's was like it was like ten. <laughs> they had to add to it <laughs> because he had every single year he went to the Pro Bowl, and Yonda comes awesome. in as a third round pick, and he was like, "I hope I go to one Pro Bowl." I hope I just get one in my career. And now he's should belong. Yeah, no, he's a that's a conversation. It's like for a different time. You but. know, when you see those like old dictators, you know, they wear, you know, they wear the general <laughs> uniforms, even though they weren't military, they got all the, uh, all the like awards and everything. Uh, yeah, same thing. Just, yeah, same exact thing. Uh, that's funny. Ogden's Ogden's incredible. But, uh, but Baselli was too. That's the thing. Baselli, okay. Credentials wise, five-time pro bowler, three-time first team all pro. So he just kind of misses. But the fact that he was playing at the same time as all those guys, and there's a couple other good left tackles at the time, you know, Todd Stucy's of the world and all that. And shoot, there he is. He three-time first team all pro. It was a no-brainer for an expansion franchise for the Jaguars, who we crack jokes about the Jaguars right now. <laughs> Imagine when they were an expansion team starting out in a college town, basically. And it, no, no, knock the Jags fans. Sorry. I, I, I like, I like my dad, Simon Jacksville. Sorry. I like Jack's beach. Um, but anyways, it's, but that, that is just really what he was. And it's one of those guys. I wish truly there's a reason the Texans took him one, one in their expansion draft. I mean, there was, it, 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 they had the right mindset. I think they just didn't look at the medical records <laughs> as much as they should have and get beat up. But I, I really do think if a guy like Terrell Davis, who was a stud at his position or, you know, had a, that little four year peak, Baselli had a six-year peak with five Pro Bowls. I mean, if we're going to use that as a precedent, that's why I think he's a no-brainer to be in the, in the Hall of Fame. Davis has the distinct advantage of having that short peak align with championship football. Correct. And, and I think that is the biggest thing, is that with Davis, and I think the other guys that you could throw in here, uh, Gail Sayers is obviously the most famous example yep. of someone who was iconic but only played for a few years and got into mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame. There aren't that many other guys that fit that criteria. Terrell Davis is the best modern example by far. Kind and of the Bill, I, Walt, Bill Walton argument. Kind of yes, like. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. And I, I always thought that Terrell Davis belonged in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think because when you're that shooting star and you dominate the league, I think you belong. I think, again, Terrell Davis in that short peak was the MVP of the NFL. Not only was he the best player at his position, he was arguably the best player in the sport at that time. And I think that is going to be the argument against Baselli is that if he was merely the best left tackle in the NFL for that five-year stretch, it's a, it's a harder road. It's a yeah. harder road to get there. But he's been close. I mean, he's been a finalist. He's, he's, he's knocking on the door. So I think that there's certainly momentum for him, which yes. is good. And it does help him that, again, he's a member of the all-decade team. And when yes. you got that, that is a huge credential for these guys, especially the line, uh, O-lineman and D-lineman. It really is. It, it's it's good. that That's what helps this case. Being a member of that all-decade team really does matter. Because like you said, some people might not care about this. I care about this shit. I care about all pro votes. I care about that's why the Pro Bowl sometimes is a travesty. It's like the Pro Bowl is a joke. I don't. I, it's a joke. The pro Bowl should not be used but, for this, but all pro does matter. And that's the thing is, if we're gonna make Pro Bowls, you know, a grade down, that's why like all pro. I we talked about it when we did our all pro show. It's like that's why I want that to be revamped and solidified because that shit matters in the long run. Because we look back at this and we look at this and now we go, oh well, he he never even made all pro team. Who cares? But that's like, well, the voters messed up. They did this. They did that. That's why you know we expand to three all pro teams. We, I could save this for a whole another show, but I I kick, kick around the th- you know any of those memes where it's like a guy explaining something to a girl, like you know it's like <laughs> a girl girl gives a face. That's me with all pro teams. I could go on full rants about like changing the voting and everything for that and how many teams there are. But well, same the, thing for it's, me, it's crazy with quarterbacks. The idea that there's so many two. guys, including somebody we're going to get to on this show, that was never an all pro quarterback just because there's only two only two and it's it's really really difficult do you know that yep. john elway was never an all pro quarterback john I elway was never not. a first team all pro quarterback i never knew i actually thought he had one or two in there i actually never knew that yeah and that, is, that trust me that will be a part of my argument for the guy we're getting to you know what fuck it let's do it right now yeah there we go perfect segue my next guy is <laughs> philip rivers and i again <laughs> i'm a parody of myself and i don't care and i know this is going to be a long way off so i've had this conversation in various forms before but i want to put it all right here in one place the counting stats are obvious right he ranks fifth all time in passing yards fifth all time in passing touchdowns i don't care about that I just don't care about that. That to me is not what should be at the core of his argument for being in the Hall of Fame because I don't think compilers should get in the Hall of Fame. And I think people are going to look at his career and say he was a compiler. He was just around for a long time. He played a lot of games. That doesn't mean he should belong in the Hall of Fame. I agree with that. That is not where my case for him would start. My case for him would start at other stats, other stats that dig a little bit deeper, okay? From 2006 through 2020, 61 quarterbacks in the NFL played at least 1,500 snaps. Among that group, Philip Rivers ranked sixth in EPA per play. Okay, sixth of 80, of 61 guys. Here are the quarterbacks ahead of Philip Rivers on that list: Patrick Mahomes, okay. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Those are the guys ahead right. of him on that list. His his draft mates, Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. Rank 12th and 35th, respectively. Rivers is 6th. Even if we wanted to take out the latter years and cut it off at like 2015 when Roethlisberger was still elite, Rivers is still ahead of him in that stat. If you look at the... Ben Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls. Congratulations. We were talking about this earlier this week. Ben Roethlisberger went 9 of 23 in the Super Bowl that he won the first one. Okay. <laughs> Is that funny? It, it, I don't, Super Bowl champ. It's like, yeah, all right. Nine of 23. <laughs> Philip Rivers was not a compiler. He was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history. Yep. Chase Stewart pointed this out the day that Philip Rivers retired. Only three quarterbacks in the history of the sport have ever led the league in yards per attempt for three straight seasons Kurt Warner, Steve Young, and Philip Rivers. From 2008 through 2010, he led the NFL in yards per attempt. In his 14 years as a starting quarterback with the Chargers, the Chargers finishes the top 10 passing offense by DVOA 10 times. (laughs) Solely because Phillip Rivers was there, they were an elite passing offense every single year through coaching changes, through Mm -hmm. personnel changes. It didn't matter. He had his down years. There was a stretch there 
where there were some dips. But when you get back into that like 2013 and beyond, when Keenan Allen was there, when Austin Eckler eventually gets there, they were elite pretty much every single year. Year in and year out, they were a top 10 passing offense. In 15 seasons as a starting quarterback, if you look at these error-adjusted numbers that I appreciate, he posted an adjusted net yards per attempt of 115 plus, which is one standard deviation above one standard deviation above average, seven times. Seven times he was one standard deviation above an average quarterback. Yeah. That is more than Dan Fouts, who is the Who's, perfect comparison yeah, to Philip Rivers. Great, yeah. Not in, just because of the Chargers, but 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 career-wise, yes, that is a great comparison. And if we want to talk about the the accolades and the all pros and whatever John Elway was never first team all pro just because Philip Rivers was never the best quarterback and I understand I made this argument for Hester and I'll make it for someone else that you should be the best player at your position or one of them but just because Philip Rivers was never the best quarterback in the NFL doesn't mean he's not one of the best quarterbacks ever because correct. he played in the same era as all of the best quarterbacks in the history of the sport correct just because he was the sixth guy doesn't mean he's not the 15th best quarterback to ever play Yes. And I think that is the, that's the problem here. And if you want to point to the postseason success, I completely understand that. But like we said, Roethlisberger was 9 of 21 for 123 and two picks in his first Super Bowl win. If Marlon McCree does not drop that ball after intercepting it in 2006, the Chargers absolutely can beat the Colts and beat the Bears and win a Super Bowl. Absolutely. If Nate Kading doesn't miss three field goals in the 09 divisional round, if Darrell Revis doesn't make an insane interception on inception, that play, yep. If Rivers doesn't tear his ACL and go into that game Trent, against the yeah. Patriots with a real with the, shot. And not only was Rivers <laughs> hurt in that game, LaDainian Thomason was hurt in that game. Antonio Gates was hurt in that game. And the torn ACL thing is part of his legend. That guy played 250 straight football games. It didn't matter what was wrong with him. And the consistency the year-in, the year-out excellence. And then if you just want to dig a little bit deeper into the details of the position. there were, J.J. Watson told this story after Rivers retired, that Rivers would point out where guys were misaligned defensively and tell them where they were supposed to be because of what was coming. He was on that Brady and Manning level. When we had Wade Phillips on this show a couple months ago, here last month, he mentioned Phillip Rivers in the same breath as those guys when you were preparing for them. I'm reading Jeff Duncan's book right now about Sean Payton and Drew Brees, which is excellent. You guys should pick it up if you haven't. And there's a story about Brees throwing a ball where every single def- – there's like five defensive players between him and where he's throwing the ball, but he knows the way that they're going to eventually dissipate. Yeah. So he, it's, he watches it unfold. Rivers had a throw like that last year where he throws a ball on a deep crossing route and just it's insane that he lets the ball go. He is, in my opinion – I think the best anticipatory thrower I've probably ever seen at throwing the ball into open space when the, when he lets it go, it makes no sense that he's throwing the ball. Just back. like all the crossers. I mean, yes. that's the, the, I know and it's the corner. It's yeah. Cor- well, yeah, he's the best corner out there ever. Yeah. Corner sales and crossers. I mean, and crossers, it might be just a little five yard throw. Those are freaking hard to throw because you have to get up and over the junk right in front of you. And then also lead the guy who's running full speed. And there might be junk in front of him, so you have to find a spot. And that's exactly why he's perfect. Those are touch throws. Those are him just going, boop. It's just, it's just laying, it's like a little tapping a putt and just, let, you know, reading the break on it. That's exactly what he does. And, and yeah, I completely agree. He's the best throwing out there, throwing out those. And I, I, I want to uh, agree with your point too. Just because just he played at the same time as other all time greats doesn't mean he's not an all time great. We don't knock Clyde Drexler for playing at the same time as MJ. You know what I mean? Like he's still an all-time player. Like he was truly a really fantastic player just because he played at the same time as MJ. doesn't mean we're going to not Clyde. You know, it's just same exact things. It's more, it's not just one guy has to be king of the hill always. I I think we have that conception. Even sometimes I'm part of it. Oh, he's part of an elite group, all that stuff. But Philip Rivers day in, day out. I mean, everybody in the league respects him, and that that matters because that kind of shows the people in the know go because he's as Kyle Shannon said, no, I don't know him, but he's a baller. You know, that's that's his exact quote about Philip Rivers. I go, dude, you know, we were talking about something. I, you know, Philip at all? And he goes, oh no, I don't know him. I just know he's a baller. And that, I mean, literally, that's what he said. That's incredible. Dan, Dan Quinn, the talking about the Seahawks coaches when they came to Atlanta, they said he was the hardest guy to prep for because he's willing to check it down because he knew what beat the defense. 
And every defensive coach hated that because he's willing to do it. And he's willing to put the ball on the money and how cerebral he was. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I love Philip Rivers. I, I'm total agreement. I think he should be an easy Hall of Famer, but but I'm not the one voting. <laughs> Maybe Lindsey Jones could put one in for us. I think the other <laughs> thing that people forget about him is that later in his career, he was a real junk ball pitcher, right? He couldn't, he couldn't yeah. run. His arm strength had deteriorated. If yep. you go watch those like 2008 teams when it's him throwing to like Vincent Jackson and Michael yep. Floyd, and they're just launching the ball down the field. For those North yeah. Turner teams, they're pumping the ball down so the field. So much fun. And so much fun. It, I think people forget that. Like those offenses back then were so dangerous and so explosive. Yeah. And it's almost just like a footnote in his history because people just remember like the Jake Cutler arguments and it just, yeah, I, I don't know it, it, the way he carried himself almost feels like a detriment in some ways to the way that the general fan talks about him because he's almost more of a meme than, than an elite quarterback at this point. And it just, I don't know. Well, it, it he never got hurt. Me. He never missed a game. So no one saw the shit that he was around sometimes. Yes. yes he never so got true. hurt. It's we so never true. got last year. It, it helped me not help me, but help, people that like Dak, you got to see the Cowboys without Dak. We yes. never, we've never got to see the chargers without Phil. It was just because <laughs> he was always there. Always this guy and everything. It does, the offensive line fell apart year after year. And he is, he is getting those guys, right? There was guys that, wouldn't even sniff a, a practice squad that were starting like eight games for him. And there he is, guy in their protections, literally telling every single guy what to do. And then just putting the ball on the money to Antonio Gates and get another third down. Danny Woodhead. He made all these guys like he just all these different pieces that came across his career. And I'm glad you brought the Norv Turner uh, example because that's what was so cool watching Philip Rivers going from all these under center play action stuff and, you know, stepping up seven step drops to all of a sudden operating from the gun every single snap and pointing everything out like he was able just to adjust because he, he, as Kyle Shannon put he's a baller <laughs> I mean he was able to do that he was so smart and so accurate that it just it adjusted it, it was scheme proof and, and that's what the best players are they're scheme proof I think what he did last year is such a feather in his cap for who he yeah. was as a player to go and I mean obviously he knew the scheme but he didn't know the players yeah you know, those are guys that he's just walking in they finished 10th in weighted DVOA on offense like it's just another another top 10-ish offense because he's yep. there. And it just – I think that speaks so much to what he is as a quarterback. And it wasn't great right away, but it's not going to be great right away. There was no offseason. He has yeah. never seen Brand these guys before. <laughs> never, never been in that city for more than a week, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just uh, – to me, he is – I think he is closer to those all-time great elite guys than he is to the pack. I think agreed. much, much closer and I think if you look at a lot of the numbers, they will dictate that exact thought. So yeah. I think Phil Rivers belongs in the Hall of Fame. I know it's going to be a, a tough road for him to get there five years from now when he's eligible, yeah. but I 100% believe it. All right. Man. Who's your next do you, guy? Did you see the clips of him coaching his high school, too? They were no, so I haven't. I'm sure they're great. I, I saw one little video. It was awesome, man. It, he'd probably be the greatest high school coach ever because he's so positive. You know, yes. he's, he's an actually he loves the game. But not in that meathead, like, rah, 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 we just want it more. You know, it's more actually, he's te you can see him. He's just so passionately teaching these. It's really, it's really cool. Just fine. Yeah. They had one little video of someone, someone tweeted a few weeks ago. It was really cool watching them, like, get with these kids. It was awesome. But anyway, my favorite thing about talking to him about football is that he, he could never help himself. He like can't. He would, you'd just be having a regular conversation with him and his tone would just keep going up and up and up and he would just be describing these plays and it's just, he can't help himself. He just, it, he loves it. And when you're around somebody it. that loves it, it's, it's impossible. Exactly. It's impossible to not pick up on that and feed off of that. And it, he was one of my favorite people to have a football conversation with. I, I'm going to miss him being a part of the league, but I yeah. just hope that as the years go by and we get more distance from his career, that people don't forget how truly great he was. He wasn't just a gif. He yeah. was a truly great quarterback, and I will do everything I can to make sure people 10 years from now remember that. I love it. MC Central teams and Phillip Rivers. We're good. That's me, man. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my that's life. Good. That's good. We're good. Uh, all right. So guy number three slash four for me is Tory Holt. And I never thought if you told 12-year-old Nate Tice uh, I'd be making an argument for Tory Holt and the, the greatest show on turf Rams, I would have had no way I would have Did you not you. like those teams? 
It was because they, I felt like they were threatening the Vikings' best offense label. That's, oh, that uh, makes total sense. Okay. Yep. That makes total and sense. And that, when I was a kid, that's all I cared about, especially when my dad was just the offensive coach. That's all I cared about was sack numbers and points scored, baby, and how many touchdowns Randy's getting. Um, my but, thing uh, with those teams always was I loved them in year one and I hated them in year two. Because at that point, I was like, oh, we're talking about them way too much. Like, I'm not into this anymore. Yeah. So I wanted the Rams to beat the Titans, and yep. then I wanted them to lose to lose. the Patriots. I and that's how I, I, wanted yeah. the, I wanted the Packers to beat the Patriots, but lose to the Broncos. Broncos. Like, that's yep. always you how I was thing. growing up. I wanted yep. the new thing all the time. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Or, or yeah, even when uh, – uh, no, no, that's any, all of those. I was the same way, especially with the uniform change. Because uh, I love those old Rams unis, and then they switched to the new ones, and there was so much easier to make them the bad guys when they switched. The gold—that's exactly what it was. The gold, yeah. the gold Rams, I do, I did not like, and the yellow yeah. Rams, I loved. That's that's kind of how I was. But I mean, they're like—I mean, even though it was a breakout season, Kurt Warner won the MVP and everything, but they had their uh, divisional round playoff game against the Vikings when Jeff George was the quarterback in '99, and it was a track meet. I mean, I think the final score was like 48. 30 or something like that. And I mean, the Vikings were never even in it, but it was like, honestly watching that team just destroy the Vikings defense was like, it hurt me. It was, I've never felt more hopeless watching a game. Cause it's like, it didn't matter how many points we were scoring. The other team was truly going to score one point more. Um, I think it was, <laughs> I, what were the stats in that game? Are you looking it up? Cause no, no, was, no, no. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying time, but anyways, but in that game, Tory Holt back to Tory Holt. Um, Credentials wise, seven Pro Bowls, one first team All Pro, one second team All Pro. Tory Holt almost like got to an underrated kind of portion of his career because he was playing at the same time as a as some legit star, star, star of all stars. You got there the to eight uh, hundred and eighty total yards in that game. It was so much. It was yeah, if I was a, uh, a neutral fan, it probably been just if we had this podcast then as a neutral fan, it would have been such a game we've been so excited about. That game was insane. six turnovers. God, wild game. Wild, wild game. I think. Game. I think. Of, oh, and Jeff George was quarterback, so Jeff George would just drop back like a seven step drop. It was either he's launching it, and he would have a, a clock in his head. If he hit four seconds, he drops down. It takes a sack. He wasn't taking a hit. He was just drop. <laughs> so I think he took like six sacks that game too. Oh, it was I it was it. four, but yeah, it four. Was four. It felt but more. He, <laughs> he did throw for four hundred twenty three yards and four touchdowns. So it's awesome. <laughs> that game was. I'm telling you, that game was ridiculous. Uh, but Torrey Holt, though, uh, part of those offenses, he was a rookie in 99. And he led the league in yards twice and receptions once. And his 2003 year is an all-time sneaky, like a sneaky all-time great receiver year. He had 117 receptions, 1,696 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Um, I mean, this is over at the same time. T.O. is in the league. Randy Moss is in the league. Marvin Harrison. Even the, the, the very good guys like Heinz Ward. Like, he was above and beyond all that. Uh, this is the same time uh, Moss had a huge year in 2003 as well. I think it was the first time ever someone had, uh, I think it was, he had over hundred catches and uh, he averaged over hundred yards and a touchdown a game. I think Moss did that year, but that's, that kind of speaks to Torrey Holt. Torrey Holt was doing all these great things. Oh yeah. But he also had to worry about Randy Moss and T.O. <laughs> and Marvin Harrison setting reception records and all those types of things. Just a model of consistency. He's kind of one of those guys that was very good at everything. He tested real well. He was a fast guy, but he was a great route runner. He had good hands. He also had the funky finger, if do you, if you remember that. Yeah, like, of course. Yeah, that broke in like three different directions. Uh, From 2000 through 2007, at least 82, at least 81 catches and at least 1188 receiving yards in every single season. Model of consistency. That's what he was. I, I it's. He's kind of, if I had to compare him to somebody, he was a better version of like a Calvin Ridley. Like, I think that might be my, in my head, like a better version of that, but that, or just like the idealized version of that. He just did everything really, really well. And I think some of it is he was in a certain time when there's other awesome receivers and receivers that brought a lot of attention to themselves. Torrey yes. Holt was more of a competitive dude as opposed to a talker, um, you know, and, and yeah, like he, he had personality and everything, but not to the thoughts of these other guys that, that came along at that time. And it just, I think it's funny. I've argued against receivers in a lot of ways, but I think Torrey Holt is legitimately one of the best receivers I've know, known, watched uh, like throughout their career. It's just that he was in a time, same thing we're talking about Philip Rivers with quarterbacks, just in a time when receivers took a big leap into these iconic positions with a lot of all time players, 
he was right there with them. It's just that he's kind of the other guy. It, it just he kind of got into that space like where guys just don't talk about him as much as he did. But if you watch this guy, he is an incredible player. He has the stats behind him, model of consistency. He did it more than the, the presidential term. Seven Pro Bowls back, you know, okay, yeah, we didn't argue with Pro Bowls, but he does have the first team All-Pro, which helps, and the second team All-Pro, which helps the credentials. Um, just a really, really great player, and I do think he's kind of the parameter for me. Like, that would be the bar for receivers is kind of Torrey Holt. Like, Torrey Holt is kind of in that Art Monk kind of realm of receivers. You know, it's like, you know, these just – extremely good but there's other more iconic guys at the same time but just a just a great player i think a huge argument in his favor is that his best season that 2003 season was with mark bolger at quarterback yeah the idea that obviously he's part of those iconic greatest show on turf teams but it's not as though he was just a guy next to Kurt Warner his entire career that was catching right. passes from Kurt Warner. He was yep. catching passes from Mark Bolger for that entire 2003 to through 2005 stretch when he's still putting up double-digit touchdowns, 1,300 receiving yards, and 95 catches a season. I yes. think that's a huge point in his favor. And that is also after Isaac Bruce. It's yes. not as though he was just the second banana to Isaac Bruce. There was also a stretch of his career when Bruce was very much on the tail end. He was in his early to mid thirties and you have Torrey Holt who is one of, if not the best receiver in the league for stretches during that time. So I think yep. it's so easy to think, Oh, you know, he was again, Isaac Bruce, Marshall fall, Kurt Warner. He was just another guy on those teams. Yep. And when the Rams weren't as great and weren't as exciting in like 2003, 2004, 2005, he was still doing exactly what he was doing before, if not better. Yep. I know. And that's what, I mean, you just even look at it, break, bro, broke down. Like you, you did it over like the average, but 1600 yards, 1300 yards, 1300 yards, 1600 yards, 1300 yards, 1300 yards. And it's TDs with it too. And it's like time after time, he was just the model of consistency. And it's just his do it. It was the fact that he was a rookie for that first Super Bowl year. It's like, maybe, okay. He's not as that. You don't have that like memory of like that. I kind of, you remember Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk more than anything. Right. Or Dick Vermeil crying when uh, Trent Green got hurt, you know, right. That's kind of what you remember of the year is Kurt Warner hugging his wife and all that. They're making a movie about it. Uh, oh my God. Did you see the trailer for that movie, by the way? I still haven't watched it. I still haven't watched it and don't know if I will. It's it's I, I want to support it, man, but it's it's rough. It's rough. It's really rough. The, even the jerseys look like they look like they're from a commercial, you know, where people have to wear the off brand, you know, Ram stuff. But like the jerseys, like the numbering doesn't even look right. Oh, <laughs> it's bad. And they're actually making the actor throw the ball and like, which is a terrible so, idea. Terrible. And they're showing they actually showed his path of the throws, like rather him throwing. And then you see the completion. You actually see the ball in the air. So it's like he's throwing like duck corners and stuff like, oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had good laughs watching that a couple times. <laughs> I do like that actor, though. Uh, but anyways, I, I like Holt. the stuff he's in. I've always enjoyed him. I like Chuck. He's great. Like- Chuck, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's a great like little boyfriend character in that. Yep. Yeah. I yep. know. I like, I, I like that actor. Oh, uh, Shazam. Shazam was pretty entertaining. Yeah. But uh, anyways, Tory Holt. Uh, the Tory Holt's my uh, third or third Do you remember that he was? I didn't remember that he wore 88 early in his career. Did not. Either. I just remember him in the 81. 81. That's so strange that he wore 88 for the first three years of his career. Messed me up a little bit. Not going to lie. Yeah. I, uh, I, cause I was watching some stuff this past week to prep for this. And I was like, Oh, I, I, this guy, this is a bad YouTube highlight. They have like, uh, they have somebody else in his highlights. And I was like, Oh no, that's, that's Tori Holt. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, my last guy here, speaking of presidential terms, is Patrick Willis. And... I, this is as simple as it gets for me, okay? Patrick Willis, five team, five-time first team All-Pro, seven Pro Bowls, okay? That's good Good right there. Calvin Johnson, six-time Pro Bowl, three-time first team All-Pro. If go. Calvin Johnson is a first ballot Hall of Famer, how is Patrick Willis not a Hall of Famer? Yep. I just, to me, it's that simple. I don't even know what else you have to say outside of that. 
Yep. Clearly on the all decade team was easily the best running the best linebacker of that generation from 07 through when Keekley came into the league. The best off-ball linebacker in the entire league. He led the NFL in stops, the PFF stat, uh, from 2007 through 2012 when he was in the NFL. He also, I believe, had the most passes defensed among off-ball linebackers during that same stretch. That's crazy. In 2011, when that that era of the Niners defense starts, yep. right? Because yep. that's when yep. Harbaugh gets there, and that's when Fangio gets there, and Navarro yep. Bowman's in his second season then. That little three-year stretch there, yep. He was top 10 in the league in reception percentage allowed when in coverage, yards per completion allowed when in coverage, and led the NFL in pass breakups among off-ball linebackers that year. He did everything. He did everything. Every aspect of his game was elite when he was playing his best. He was underrated as a pass rusher. He was really, really good. Right, That sentence right there is the best way to describe Patrick Wells. He was elite at literally everything. (laughs) When you watch it, because I think there are a lot of guys in this era at that position where they're they're tackling machines, they play the run well, but they're block slippers. Yep. They are they're Duck smaller under. guys, so they're dipping under and they're they're able to avoid contact. And that's a skill in and of itself. It's incredibly yeah, impressive. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Willis would run you the fuck over. <laughs> like, oh, he was shedding. He would, he oh, would yeah. run you over. He was yeah. a legit two forty five. And he was gonna he was gonna sit there and he was going to run your ass over, yep. and that just is not the way that most linebackers play. Because when we most linebackers play now, when you have a guy that runs sideline to sideline the way that he did, he ran a four five one forty at two hundred forty two pounds at the combine. <laughs> when you have somebody with that type of movement skills, that's what we ascribe to them is that slipping blocks, just a finesse game. There was yeah. nothing finesse about the way Patrick Willis played the position for the most part in the run game. And I think that was what was so impressive. And then you'd watch him in coverage. He, the way he could just turn and run in the middle of the field, into the deep half, and into the deep middle of the field, the same way that Brian Urlacher used to. Just guys that very few players can play that role yeah. last. And then just the awareness in coverage. I was watching a little bit today of the 2011 season and the – Cardinals tried to get him on a little jerk route with Andre Roberts, which is in theory a mismatch, yeah, right? That's an advantage. You, yeah. <laughs> you have your slot receiver one on one in the middle of the field against a 245 pound linebacker. What they designed the play for, probably, too. Like, we're no isolate problem. this guy. Yep. No problem. Just like <laughs> stays with the stutter, is able to accelerate and pick him. back up with him and just swallows him for an incompletion. And that stuff just shows up all the time. And I think that if we're talking about you're standing at your position within the league, you, the hierarchy. If you define a position for four to five years and you play for – he went to the Super Bowl. He mm-hmm. played for a team that ended up being really, really good by the tail end of his career. The the teams before that, the Mike Singletary years and everything else, those teams were terrible. I watched a game today that Can't involved – with them. That it involved Troy Brown and Sam, and 2010 Sam Bradford. Roger Saffold was the Rams' starting left tackle as a rookie. It was oh insane. God. Just the players on the field in that game. It was a real throwback. Dudes talking about little football players, classics right there. And the idea that even after that, when those teams were bad, you had this couple year stretch, 2011, 2012, when we get to see him on the biggest stage and you remember him with Navarro Bowman mm-hmm. and it has everything. He checks every single box to me. And I understand he didn't play for that long, but again, if Calvin Johnson is a first ballot hall of famer, then I don't understand why Patrick Willis is not going to be a hall of famer. He was a finalist this year. I, I have faith that he ultimately will get in, but to me, there is not a box he doesn't check. The longevity isn't there. Fine. He was a five-time first-team All-Pro, and yeah. deservedly so. Like, yeah. was elite, elite, elite for that entire stretch. And with Calvin Johnson, Calvin Johnson didn't come in the league and tear the roof off. He had no, 700 more, receiving yards. It's like, oh, he's going to be good. Yeah, it's like, he's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Willis was the best linebacker in the NFL from the moment he walked into the league. I didn't realize he was a first-team All-Pro as a rookie. I knew yes. I knew he was really good. I knew he was a Pro Bowler as a rookie, not first-team All-Pro as a rookie. Those are the guys, the the no doubt abouters. The yeah. you know it when you see it, guys. Define Joe the Thomas, position. Joe yep. Thomas, like Joe that Thomas, yeah. is exact and same draft, right? It's yep. that draft had a lot of those guys: Adrian Peterson, Joe Thomas, yeah. Darrell Revis. 
Patrick Willis. I mean, that is yeah. an all-time great draft for guys that defined their position. And I think that he belongs in the same breath as any single one of those guys. He is a no doubt about it Hall of Famer for me. Man, that's like a sneaky stack draft. I'm looking at it right Marshall now. Marshall Yonda was in that draft. Greg Olson. Greg Olson was in that draft. Darrell Revis was in that Marshawn draft. Marshawn Lynch. Lynch was in that draft. It was an oh incredible draft. That is. Even like guys like Who was Hall. Like, you Calvin know, like Johnson was the second overall pick. Uh, Joe Thomas was the third overall pick. Do you remember who the first overall pick was? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, Marcus uh, Russell, Mr. Jamarcus Russell, right? Yeah, I'm not even all... looking at this, by the way. I'm just pulling all this. That's an that's, amazing uh, draft. It really is. I'm looking. I pulled it up right. Now. You got Paul Pozlosny. That's the name I haven't seen in a while. Eric Weddle was in that draft. Eric Weddle was in that draft. Yeah, oh, the Bears also wanted him in the second round, but they ended up oh. not getting him. I, oh, I, I, I again, like Patrick Willis. I think he was the tenth pick, right? Uh, Willis was the eleventh. Eleventh pick. So yeah, it was right there. And again. Just the best player from the moment he stepped onto the field. Him and Erlocker, like in that stretch. And that was like right when Erlocker started to tail off a little bit. Yep. It was like it's, that 07 season. It's like, so, like there only could be one. And then uh, Willis yeah, goes exactly right. Keegley goes up. You walk in, you take the now. crown. And then Willis came in, or Keegley came in in 2012. Yep. And that's exactly when Keegley Willis started to go down a little yep. tiny bit. Now we got Fred Warner coming up. Like, <laughs> it's just, and Bobby like, Wagner also came into the league in 2012. Yep. That's another so one. Yep. It was, oh, I know. It's a perfect passing of the torch. But for that yeah. mini stretch in like He's when a- Ray Lewis and Erlocker are aging, and then you before Keekley, that is Patrick Willis's time. He owns the position in those five years. Just even like box score looking at it, like his own nine year was insane. Led the league in tackles. He had eleven QB hits, four sacks, eight passes deflected, three forced fumbles. Three interceptions, including one for a TD. Like it thirteen. Just a human wrecking ball. Just yeah. a wrecking ball. If you want a two way player, it's not just. And that's the thing is like you can really tell a lot by TFLs too. Like just just a little bit with some of these guys and kind of like seeing okay, is he actually? It's not the five yard tackle. Like it's second and three, and they tackle him two yards past the sticks. It's actually stop. It stops like the stat. It's actually efficient tackling. It's like guys. There was around a play the I watched today. Again, they played the Giants during the regular season in 2011. They ultimately lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game that day yep. or that year. One of the weirdest games I ever remember watching. I watched it in Vegas. I remember watching Kyle Williams drop that punt. It was just a cra- and then that was the oh, week after. Right. It was the week after they played the Saints in the playoffs in that insane yeah. Alex Smith and Drew Brees game. Anyway, that was a fun playoffs. Like that whole really, season. really fun. Yeah, yeah. It was my first year at Grantland. It was really, really fun. I was 23 years old. I was just living the life. <laughs> <laughs> so they played the Giants that year during the regular season. The Giants had a, lined up in split backs, and they motioned the fullback into essentially like a little off-ball slot on the left side. Like, oh, we have an advantage now. We have the bodies. And they ran a power play to the left, so they pulled the right guard. And okay. Willis was on that side. It did not work. <laughs> the, <laughs> as soon as the guard pulls, he just takes the grass and at this point, he's five years deep into his career. Like it's and four yard loss just drags Brandon Jacobs down. Had absolutely no chance. And it's like oh yeah, and tackling shit. Brandon Jacobs too. That's understated. Two hundred sixty, two hundred seventy pound Brandon Jacobs. And that's uh. that's the thing. And it's the same as Keekley. It's the same as Wagner. It's the same as these guys who are true greats at the position. It's the sp- the splash plays are there, right? Devin White yeah. has splash plays, yeah. but when you're also sound and in the right place every single play and you combine that with this otherworldly physical ability that's when you become the best linebacker in football that's what he was for five years that to me is all of that and what i always love talking to the smartest linebackers the like that's why i love chris borland because chris borland is so cerebral that i love just what did you see like what because they have their rules and keys and everything but they go rogue and see things too and that's what uh, Paul Chris always had stories about Junior Seau and working with him. And it, it would just be like, because he would blow something up and then he'd be like, hey, hey, Junior, what'd you see there? And then he'd be like, oh, shit, Paulie. You know, I saw the guard lie on his feet. The last time you were in that formation, you did this. And the last time the running back looked at like just boom, 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 yeah, boom, boom. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. But then, okay, but that brain and then also 250 pounds, it could run a, you know, a legit four, five, four, six. <laughs> it's like these guys are freaks of not just physical ability, but the mental how seeing everything, the cerebral, uh, 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 the the spatial awareness these guys have is just, it, it's so much fun. And that's why it's like, I love seeing the, these top linebackers when, they, when they're when they rolling and they can just do stuff like that because it, it's one of the more fun things to watch in football. Awesome. All right. That's all we got. 
Just dudes talking about old football players. <laughs> we are memes of ourselves. <laughs> you know what? The fact that we had already planned this and then that yeah. tweet went viral, I feel yeah. okay about it. It's not as if we decided to do this after we saw after that. The we tweet, planned yeah. to do this for an entire week. Yeah. We, this will be coming to you guys on Wednesday. This is it. This is our last podcast before training camp. I am hitting the road <sighs> on the 27th of July. That will we will have a show for you that day. So the plan from here through week one, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, every week, three shows a week. We're going to be coming to you guys with check-ins from every single camp I'm going to. I think I'm hitting 16 teams Woo! between now and the start of the season. I'm living out of a suitcase in a car, my friend. It is going to be a lot of mileage. I'm really looking forward to it. Be prepared for that. We're going to have guests from different teams. We're going to have writers from The Athletic. We're bringing a ton of stuff to you guys starting next week. I hope you're excited. I certainly am. So that is going to be the cadence when we get to camp. And it's going to be here before you know it. That is the last time I'll be talking to you guys. So, Or that is the next time we'll be talking to you guys. So please enjoy the weekend. Please enjoy your last little refuge here of non-football summer uh, we'll be back next week with our first little slice of training camp coverage we're actually our first show back next week is gonna be me and mike sando talking about his quarterback tiers because that comes nice. out first thing next week so we're gonna dig into all things qb tiers it's one of my favorite things to read every single year so he puts fun. an immense amount of work into it i always love it so we're gonna dig into that first and then it's gonna be camp time so thank you guys so much for listening please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. This is your last chance to do that before things get crazy and you forget when the season starts, so please do that. <laughs> please subscribe to The Athletic. I wrote about Baker Mayfield last week. I will be writing a lot now the training camp is starting. I've got a few things that I'm currently working on, so please subscribe. It's athletic.com slash football show. You will not regret it. There is no way you can keep up with camp if you do not have an athletic subscription. It is a necessity if you want to keep up with everything that's going to be happening. Depth charts. You guys are starting your fantasy football prep. You're going to know who's who looks good, who doesn't. What the starting lineups look like. Who's working with the first team. This is all stuff that you can get from every single writer at The Athletic. I highly recommend you pick that up if you're starting your prep. We'll be back with you guys next week. Until then, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.